pearls Don't want you to tell me that I'm your only girl, just want a man Come on back, pick me up and take me for a ride Why can't you be my sweet, some steady on the side Musician Robbie Mays answer 100 questions in five minutes to win the Manitoba Money Shot. Plus, Tim Hortons is stupid and much, much more on today's episode called Robbie Mays Shoots on the Temporarily Employed. And what's this guy doing up here in Manitoba? Manitoba. 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 is stupid Tim Hortons is dumb You call that coffee I call it scum It makes me wanna puke Each and every time You can stick your timpits the sun don't shine So go roll up the rim And take a sip of ass I'll be at Robin's Donuts Cause Robin's is the best fresh and friendly. You got that right. Hey, welcome to the show. It's the Manitoba Money Shot Podcast. I'm your host, Ronald George Moore, and today, an amazing show. Oh my God, the Manitoba goddess herself, Rami Mays, is here. You heard her at the beginning of the show uh, with uh, Sweet Something Steady, and also uh, you're going to be hearing some other tunes of her sprinkled. Uh, she's been doing it since her first album was with Off the Wagon in 97. She has not looked back. Uh, coming up, you're going to hear Out of Touch, Slow Down, I Will, and a few others. Throughout her career, she's won multiple awards, including uh, a nomination for the Junos, uh, the Western Canada Award. She's Songwriter of the Year, Album of the Year, you name it, she's got it. Okay, I don't know if that's true, but she's won a lot, believe me. And the pandemic has not slowed her down at all, because she's now uh, the producer, the Western producer for Curbside Concerts. And if you don't know what they're all about, go check out curbsideconcerts.ca, and you can hire a musician uh, and come right to your freaking front lawn and do a show for you, for you and your family. It's uh, it's a great idea, a great cause, and helping out not only herself, but other musicians in the province and country. Do it. Get a hold of Rami on uh, YouTube at Rami Mays Music, R-O-M-I-M-A-Y-E-S. And music, we all know how to spell music. Uh, she's on Instagram, Rami Mays. Uh, Facebook, you can Google and search her, of course, for everything else and oh my god we talked we talked at great length and i had to cut a lot out of it because simply for time's sake 
Uh, but she's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. Go check out her music. How can you not love her? Bye. Yes. This is how we start. This is how we start. <laughs> Woohoo! Woo oh, baby. <laughs> Welcome, Rami Mays. <laughs> you, you keep cranking. You're, you're doing co the curbside concerts. Yeah, I'm the producer for Western Canada. Actually, you know, like I got up and promoted because I was kicking so much ass for Winnipeg because it was such a great idea. I got a lot of press right away and everyone just took to it. We're just like brilliant. And it's, it was all like our, our mandate and no policy is all about safety right. because it has to be because we wanted to find a way to do this. So we just, I mean, all of the COVID bylaws and restrictions, we follow them all. We're completely adamant about them. Yeah. And and then even as far, and so, yeah, so Winnipeg went really well. So then I took over Alberta. Okay. We hired someone in Ontario, so they have something going on in the east. And then I'm expanding to BC now. So I'm just starting to get a Vancouver roster going and trying to get some press going there. Yeah. And it's it's a full-time job. I even actually ended up hiring one and, and booking one for myself because I, because I really wanted to experience one as well. You I want to get in on the fun. Them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I was producing it all and then I was on the roster doing I did about 20 myself last year just for you know I wanted to get in on it too mm -hmm. but I booked um at right in October when we were having super good weather I was like I think we can still get some more in because people are still booking them so I had uh Rodrigo Menez uh Papa Mambo he's on our roster yeah. and I had him and Amber F they came and did a duo at our front of our curbside so I got to have Rodrigo and and Amber up at my home. I was on my front steps. I had two friends, yeah. uh, you know, and my partner and I were watching it. And I, I was like dancing, you know, standing up and dancing. You can dance in your yard. You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. And I had neighbors at different, you know, like, you know, kitty corner that way, kitty corner that way on their porches, like, woo, and loving it. So you really got this, like. I got what, what that experience was for everyone, why they, why it was so important, because it was camaraderie amongst people when everyone was feeling really disconnected, yeah. you know, and it, so I'm really like a thousand percent behind what we've been creating, community experience, joy, live music, great for mental health, yeah. great for sanity, and uh, so yeah, so it's been an easy, an easy job for me in that way, because I'm totally stoked on the product yeah and you're you know, it's also kind of in your wheel in your wheelhouse right you have a headspace for for business uh, in the music industry after all these years uh performing yeah, it's, and right, touring it's right in my and... skill set i definitely have experience in in event planning and uh and promotion and like it was all it was all there for me so right. it was like fine it was almost like a culmination of everything that i'd ever done including playing and put it into the best, most creative job I could ever be in. Oh, so this sure. is far none the best job I've ever had, you know, maybe besides being a musician, but even that's fucking exhausting. So Yeah, you know. it's a nice twist on the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Being able to go out and, but what we do on the show is we, we go back to uh, your roots and see the beginning, the beginnings of Rami. In the beginning, there was Rami, <laughs> and she was a little bitch. <laughs> and, and just to see, like, if the same elements that you that make you up now were there at the beginning. So you claim you're a Winnipeg. <laughs> were you born in Winnipeg? Born and raised. Born and raised here. Okay. I, uh, this is my I favorite question. What what part of Winnipeg? I was actually born in in River Heights on Borbank. But I only lived there until I was two. Oh. So I never really felt like I had any connection to River Heights because right after that, my mother and dad divorced when I was two. Yeah. And we moved in with my grandmother into the house I was raised in in East Kildonan. Oh, so I was pretty okay. much like East Kildonan was my childhood home. Nice. And you were there East Kildonan growing up, teen years and all that. 
Well, sort of. Like, the thing is also, I could get lost in East Kildonan because I spent so little time there. I went to, because I'm Jewish, my mom wanted me, she knew nothing about Judaism, really. You know, she didn't have a very good handle on on that stuff. So she was really hoping that by sending us to a Jewish parochial school, we would learn part of our heritage. Right. So we actually went to the Tamatora, which was in the North End. Oh, and then, and, and look, what is the Gray Academy now? was Joseph Walensky Collegiate, which was also in the North End, and that's where the South End and the North End came to one. Like, that was, we each, each of us had an elementary school. The South End and the North End each had an elementary school for Jewish parochial school. Okay. And then there was only one grade 7 to 12 school attached to the my school in the North End. So that was Joseph Walensky Collegiate, and I went there. So I didn't really spend any time in East Kildonan at all. Wild, yeah. And I actually got beat up many, many a time for carrying a Jewish prayer book in the North Core North End. So let me tell you, really? it wasn't ex- – well, yes, you know, it's a little tough on the, on the north side of the bridge or the river, I mean. You know, and so – well, the river. But specifically because you were Jewish, I find that just like, you know, kids well, – I don't know, I really think they see it, but, it, you know – yeah, I think especially, you know, that like there were so there were I mean, there were people who were spray painting our school all the time, like, you know, kikes get out or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, wow. so there was a lot of anti-Semitism to Jewish people always. But when I was a younger kid, I, I was the brunt end of it. I got the brunt end of it because we would always walk from Matheson, which is in the North End, to Inkster, where my grandfather lived. Right. And, and that walk to there you had to walk past a lot of tough North End kids who just, like, if you had anything Jewishy to show, you were picked on, you know what I right. mean? And, and so usually it was when we carried our prayer book that we'd get picked on. How did you react to that? Was it more like offense or defense, you know? like you... I think I was just, like, mind-blown that I... Because I just thought we were really likable people, my sister and I, you know what I mean? So I was like, sure why don't they like us? Like, it was my only, only pretty much in my life, hardcore experience with anti-Semitism, like fortunately in my life, Jewish or, or, you know, or whatever, you know, white or whatever I am in any capacity, if I'm a minority of a situation, I've never really experienced it. Like being a woman or anything like that, I felt really good about. So that was the only time I really experienced anti-Semitism. And I think if anything, I was just surprised like, I wasn't like, fuck you, get up and try to fight. Yeah. I think, like, you know, because we were, like, beat up a bit. We were pushed down a couple times. And my sister would be like, come on, let's go. And just, like, grab my arm and we'd walk off. Older sister or younger like, sister? Pardon me? Older or younger sister? She she's she was older. I did lose my sister when I was 14. but oh, So she was, like, okay. my big protector then. Right. So Yeah, so she was like, you know, she was just like, come on, let's go. And we both, we almost didn't even talk about it. Like, it was very, it was just like, I was like, what the hell was that? She's like, yeah, that was messed up. Yeah. You know, like, I think it was more just like, we were like, why, why would you, we, I think it blew my mind that people could hate someone so much without knowing them because of my ignorance and my, my peace, love and happiness sort of Yeah, you're mentality. oblivious, right? You don't know, you don't have that in your heart. Yeah. I mean, because also at my school, even though it was Jewish parochial, we didn't. We did have a lot of Russian immigrants. We did even have a couple um, African American kids that were Jewish. Yeah. And so, I mean, to me, I didn't really see. I just had friends of all kinds. So I even. I mean, as if you were in public school, it wasn't that different to a certain extent. So, right. like, the really, I, I just we were just kind to. We were a small school. And we were just kind to everybody. So I didn't really 
have ever, I, I mean, I'm still blown away by it as we probably all are anyone that has a good heart, but I just, it, it's still, it just, yeah, it was just like, what that, why, why would you not like me? Because I have a prayer book that makes no sense. Yeah. But yeah, so that, so that was that. And then I actually moved out really young. But- I moved out, um, from my home in East Kildonan to, Balmoral, oh, <laughs> where yeah. I also got mugged. <laughs> That's not surprising. Balmoral's yeah, you know, not a, a dark, walk in the a garden. Little space. But um, yeah, I moved out really young and it mostly had Just to do by yourself? That. You moved out on your own? I actually moved out with a boyfriend of mine at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was, I was really starting to lean a lot towards music and spending a lot of time at the Blue Note. Oh. And my mom obviously did not approve very much of that. So this is like, and what, 16? I, exactly. I was 15, 16, 15, around that 16. time. I moved out right before I turned 17. Okay, let, let, me, let me stop here for a sec. Let's rewind a bit. Sure. Your musical influences. What were you listening to? What, what, uh, what, what was your thing? What were you doing uh, in yeah. your development years? It's funny because I actually didn't really know how much I actually, I I didn't, only in retrospect do I see how much music affected me and how much I loved it. I was always listening to Ghetto Blaster, always listening to the radio. You had tapes? I had so many tapes. I had had hundreds and hundreds of tapes, which eventually were me singing into it, like, even at a young age, TV theme songs. And then I was doing a lot of lip syncing in the mirror, I remember very, like, clearly. And, you know, I really liked classic rock from a young age. That was, mm-hmm. I, I leaned to those stations, so I was already listening to Joan Jed and Zeppelin and The Doors and Jimi Hendrix and things like that. Wow. And this radio. is all from the radio influence, not their sister or family members or anything? A little bit from her because she had some cool taste in music. So, like, so if we had, like, I remember the very first cassette tape I ever bought. And my mom let us pick from, like, one of those bins. Yeah. They're like, you know, $2 tapes or whatever. That still happens now. But at the time, it was a great steal, oh, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. What was the tape? And, and I picked the Grease soundtrack. Beauty choice. After, yeah. And hit after hit of the 80s. So it was like like Culture Club. No, no. It was more like, uh, I think Culture Club might have been. It was like, it was like a Crowded House and things like that, like bands like that. Right. So I really liked, I really liked music. I really always did. And when I was, so that was, that was really in me. And my sister did have a good taste in music. Like she liked Pink Floyd and stuff like that. I remember really listening to a lot of Pink Floyd with her. And it was weird because at the time when you're like 13, you know, 12, 11, 13, in that age, a lot of my friends, I mean, at that age, at that time, it was just the beginning of the eighties, you know? So a lot of my friends were listening to Tiffany, you know, and and I did go see Tiffany. Full disclosure, I did go see Tiffany. <laughs> Your curiosity only because peaked, I was eh? allowed to. Because I was allowed to. Ah, okay. <laughs> it was the first concert I was allowed to go to without parent. Was it but any yeah, good? I had. A, I loved it because I had. I didn't get to see live music at that time very often. So seeing a performer, I mean, I was just idolizing her. I just wanted to be her. Right. And so I couldn't believe the power she had to control an arena with one voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was pretty, pretty mystical to me. And, hmm. uh, and then, and then, yeah. And then eventually when I started hanging out at Blue Note, seeing live music all the time, my whole life took a huge turn to like, that is my world now. That's all, right. all I want to do. That's my world. You're going to the Blue Note. You're, 16, you have fake ID or they all, but does everyone know you're uh, underage or? The year I turned 18 was the year they started IDing. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so that worked out well for me. But actually the Blue Note was like such an underground bunch of like 
just sin. It was just the, such a sin, den of sin that they didn't give a shit what my age was. Because right. you could go there. You could go there underage, but you couldn't. they wouldn't serve you alcohol. Oh, okay. But they did with me anyway. Like, I actually ended up working there and serving the alcohol in, like, fit teacups after hours by the time I was 16. Wow. No yeah. way. And, yeah. So, I mean, like, it, it was like, there'd be, like, people in the bathroom doing blow, like, hookers and cokeheads. They'd come out, sit down, and then have their cinnamon coffee, which is actually whiskey, you know, right. and I'm serving them. Like, just, like, Amazing. no wonder my mom had gray hair and saying, you can't go there anymore. Yeah. And I guess uh, that's also... Uh, you got to see lots of live bands, lots of live performances. That must have been the hook, and right? It was. It was still to this day one of the most monumental experiences of my life musically. Just that that era, and, and that's I, literally I fell in love with, like you know, teenage love with uh, Rob Colomb, who was the frontman of the Blues Puppies, and the Blues Puppies is Jane Owicki from The Perpetrators, Ryan Menard from The Perpetrators, Chris Saywell from The D-Rangers. That's the band. So that's when I met them and we all became family. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. So that, that goes back. So we've been, I mean, I've known them since I was 15. So 30 years of friendship from that time. Mm-hmm. And always stayed right through. And so I fell in love, teen love. With, <laughs> I have to really make sure I say teen love because it was psychotic love. We were like, I love you so much. You know? <laughs> and, and we moved in together. Like he was like, I want to get an apartment. Cause he was, they all lived in Transcona and he wanted to move closer. into the closer to downtown. For sure. And so I got a little apartment at the Sheridan apartments on Balmoral. Actually really nice apartments, really cool apartments. It's right on that bend before Osborne village sort of right oh, yeah. before the curling club. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we, uh, I moved out then because my mom was like, you can't see these people anymore. They pick you up in a Fort O'Connor line. They're a bunch of like three or three or older than you boys that play music from Transcona and fucking taking you to a late night club where I'm pretty sure hookers are doing blow. Right. And I'm like, gotta go, mom. I, gotta, I found my calling. <laughs> Don't <know>? wait up. <laughs> so yeah, for her. Um, but I did, I just upped and left and moved into there. And then shortly after, you know, maybe a year Rob and I didn't work out, and I just I just stayed on on that path. Though. And it, was it because of the Blue Note you fell in love with the guitar, or were you playing guitar before this, or any I lessons? was playing guitar a little bit before that, and that was all because I used to go to um, a, a canoe camp out in Lake of the Woods. There was mm-hmm. Camp Stevens, and then there was the Jewish camp, which was BB Camp, an Abraith camp. And my out trip on the canoe trips that I'd go on there, uh, she played guitar and sang, you know, just like... Um, you know, like, it's Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton, like Kumbaya songs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and I came back from camp that year, and that was when I was 15. And I came back from camp that year, and I was like, Mom, I need a guitar. That's it, like, I need a guitar. So that I got a little Fiesta guitar that was just a piece of shit that I loved. Right. And so by the time I went to the Blue Note and was there, I was actually, like, really intrigued with music. And then Bobby Starr, our local... Uh, hippie, our local legendary hippie here, he actually had come over to my apartment once and I played him some songs. So he called me up on stage at the Blue Note and that was my very first time performing when I was just turning 16. Amazing. Yeah. I just, I never looked back. I never even hung out with any of my school friends anymore. Like I didn't, I just, that was it. That was my new family, my new foundation. And it stayed that way forever. Is that where Off the Wagon was sort of, that where the roots are in the Blue Note? Uh, not really, because Off the Wagon didn't happen until about four years, five years, or three or four or five years later. Mm-hmm. And actually a little bit later than that, even. 
Um, but Joanne, I remember when you had your, your interview with her, her, she had mentioned that she and I were early playing music together, but she was, I didn't meet her at the Blue Note at all. That okay. was sort of like, I met her around when I was 18 and we, I was living in the village by then. And she and I just, I don't even remember how we met, but there was a group of every, I think it was like that whole, that roasting house thing she was talking about, the village and that scene and that whole, like just villagey people. And yeah. Joanne and I clicked and she started coming over and jamming. And I was still really close. Coming over to your Chris. apartment in, in Osborne. Yes. Okay. And, and, that, and that was cool because she didn't play an instrument then. So like she, she had really cool ideas and we sang really nice harmony together right off the bat. Oh, yeah. So she would just translate ideas like, what if you went like da, 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 da. And so I'd be like on the guitar, I'd just figure it out. So that's how we wrote songs sometimes and stuff. And wow. it was just really a cool time. And then Chris Saywell from the Blues Puppies, who I was still friends with, and myself and Jackson Haldane and like the, you know, all those guys, we started playing music together a, few, just a couple years later after that. And that was the, that was the incarnation of uh, Off the Wagon. It's a different style of music than what you've been listening to, right? Because you're, it's all of a sudden it's kind of bluegrass and country-ish. It went outside of like what I loved a little bit, but it was real. I, 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 I didn't, well, actually, I shouldn't say it was outside of what I loved. It was outside of what I knew. Mm-hmm. But it, but it was like, I was really, really immersed in blues and rock and roll. So like, you know, once I realized that when I, cause at the blue note at the time, there was a lot of blues and a lot of folk and stuff like that too, but a lot of blues bands. And I remember sitting in a, in my apartment when I lived with Rob still back in the, on Sheridan, in the Sheridan apartments on Balmoral. And they said, you seem to really dig blues around me. And I was like, I, I think I do. And then I realized Zeppelin and, and ZZ Top and all that was blues, ACDC, you know? And they huh. said, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's give you a little lesson here. And we had one room that was literally just a ghetto blaster and a, and an armchair, like an old shitty armchair. That yeah. was a listening room for Rob mostly, I guess. That's but serious. they put me in there and they put on Muddy Waters Heart again, the, the cassette tape. They put it in. I flipped it. I listened to the whole thing sitting in one chair in one room. And I came out and it was almost like hitting my veins. Like what else you got? Like I was hooked. Wow. So that really, really got me into blues a lot. I didn't realize how much I loved that, uh, that, that dirt and grind of mm -hmm. music so much. And then when I was asked to be, well, I actually off the wagon started with me and Joanne and, and those guys kind of playing just rootsy sort of music that I was kind of writing. And then I left for a little while because I was always traveling and leaving and checking out new cities and stuff. Yeah. And when I came, when I came back, Jackson was in the band and he had taken it right into country and bluegrass more. Okay. And then he, and he gave me a pretty much bag of cassette tapes that were like, like, oh God, Ricky Skaggs to like. Bill Monroe to everything that I had ne never really immersed myself in before. So that's when I sort of learned that style of music. Right. It's going to music school. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, for sure. Especially from Jackson because he's such a good mentor. You mm -hmm. know, he's a great teacher. You just had a reunion two years ago, but that was... Yeah, I think it was like a 20-year reunion. reunion. Yeah. I feel, I feel like I can't claim my rights to being in that band that long because I really had a short stint there. I mm. think I was only in the band full time for like as like that's I'm in the band I have a role this is mine I wrote some songs for it we recorded yeah. and then I then I had one of my I gotta leave town and do crazy shit again and I hitchhiked out west to go find this guy I liked you know <laughs> so then, wow. a true musician then, hurt wow gotta go oh, gotta man, get my, to the next place I don't even I've lived 400 lives sometimes I'm just so tired <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure 
<laughs> well, I got to say, like, uh, 97 was off the wagon, right? And then uh, I went to your Wikipedia page. I don't know if you're aware. You got a Wikipedia page, a nice one. And it lists uh, all your releases. Um, and I'm like, holy shit. You got so many recordings of yourself. Like, if it's uh, compilations, albums, albums, albums with other people. And uh, there's just way too many to talk about. What I'd like to focus on is I know um, your uh, last release was 2015, right? Yes. Uh, Devil on Both Shoulders, right? Yes. And I heard that's your sixth full-length album. I think it is. Or sixth yeah. release. I, so, I feel like it might be my fifth because I think I just did an EP before that one. Oh. Because I did this EP in 2002 called On the Road. On the Road in Two Days. That's right. And then in two days because I was actually leaving BC in two days to come home. So I recorded it there. And one of the songs is called On the Road. So then in the last minute I decided to call it In Two Days because I was <laughs> recording it. And leaving in two days. So I'm on the road in two days, you know. Where did you record um, that? Yeah, I recorded it in Duncan at the Garage Showroom where I was actually apprenticing for sound engineer. So we thought it'd be cool before I left BC to come back to Manitoba if I recorded my own project there before I left. Okay. So I was learning I was learning a little bit of sound engineering and, and, uh, and such there. What was the release on? Was it just a DIY do-it-yourself or...? Everything I've done is pretty much okay. DIY, but yeah, Granted. but yeah, that was like the most lo-fi. I mean, I literally just pressed them by having a, like burn a copy, printed something, stuck it in the sleeve, and that was it. So on the road in two days, I never released in any way, shape, or form officially. In two thousand five, I recorded uh, the living room sessions. Yes, with, and that was the first time I was actually going to record an album and do something with it. Yeah. So that was that, that. I used that kind of like a business card for my later life. And that's under uh, Rami Mays and the temporary unemployed. Temporarily, temporarily unemployed. Temporarily. No, temporarily employed. Which also Jackson came up with because how true that was. We just said, let's get a group of people together. And he was like, well, I guess we're just temporarily employed. Why don't you call it Rami Mays and the temporarily employed? And that became kind of my band name for a while, which mm -hmm. I loved. I loved that. But yeah, so that was that was fun. And But it was, again, like we just, we didn't record on tracks. We didn't mix it. I mean, I guess we probably just did like a quick mix of the general, but it was already two track. Like yeah. we just recorded live off the floor in Jackson's living room. Oh, okay. And it was, it had, it had, uh, you know, Chris Carmichael who laid, no wait, that can't be right. But I feel like it is. Yeah, Chris Carmichael was on that. Oh yeah, because I was playing with him by then. And yeah. Tanya Elizabeth, who played fiddle for the Ducks for a while. Grant Siemens, who later produced in 2015, Devil on Both Shoulders. He played a little lap steel. And, uh, and Jackson and Twisty was playing bass. And yeah. it was just like, it was just like a fun project that I just didn't really know what we were doing. But I had all these songs. And then once it was done, Jackson said, I think you should really listen to this. And of course I was critiquing it because we only had, you know, whatever vocal track went well with the best track. Like I didn't get to work on my vocals or, re you know, everyone records their vocals separately yeah. so that they can actually get good vocal takes. So right. I wasn't like totally stoked on the whole thing. I was also unfamiliar at the time of what my voice really sounded like on recorded, you yeah. know, recorded. So I, so I was as most people are when they first start hearing themselves recorded, like, eh, oh, absolutely. you know, I know that feeling. Yeah. 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 Boy, oh boy. So, but, the, but like, lyrically, you're really, it's, uh, you got some great lyrics in this album, like uh, the, the opening track sticks and, and, uh, BTO. Wish I never met you, wish I never saw your stinking ugly face. Thank you. 
Randy Bachman, who has his own radio show, as you know, mm-hmm. at one point got wind that he he's a fan of mine, which I'm really flattered by. I know he likes my music, right? But so he got wind that there was a song called Sticks and BTO. So he played it on his radio show, thinking that he was like honoring himself. And it's actually, I guess he wasn't paying attention to what it was, but it's like, I basically use Sticks and BTO as the, the parameters of what I will not take in a relationship. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I gotta say, that is a great album. I, I love it. And also uh, the song Out of Touch. Is there like, um, yeah. is it a theremin or is it like a um, one of those uh, saws? There's like a faint, like kind of There's a saw. Jackson played, he was just learning to play saw around that time and he's playing saw. Yeah. I love you, pure and true. And I forced you through and through You're not happy You broke your own heart Now we're apart It sounds Yeah, great. I don't know if you've seen, but you can look up. I mean, anyone that's hearing this, if you didn't know that saw was an instrument, it's really mind-blowing how it's a, it's a real instrument. Mm-hmm. And I tried to learn from Jackson. He now has mastered it. I mean, it's unbelievable what he can do, he can do with it. But it's like this four-part sort of really hard instrument to play because the way you hold it between your knees, the tension you give it, yeah. how you vibrate your knee to give it vibrato, how you bend it with your left hand to bend for, for pitch, and then where you saw it, at the is where the notes are it's all very delicate so, you know you gotta... it's so yeah and i've tried and how i've tried because you look he makes it look so easy and you really you hurt yourself to too cut your leg oh dude i'm the one i am the girl that will be like i tried to play the saw and now i have four fingers you know like that's, that's me. <laughs> like i didn't understand the rules you know right but yeah so that's why i remember why we we kept that track because we only had we'd only done like two takes live off the floor. Yeah. And I remember that, that the saw solo was what we were like, oh my God. Is there one musician who's worked on all of your albums? Or is it... It's pretty close to Jackson, actually. Jackson, because okay. Jackson sang on... on he The only album he wasn't on was, I think, Double on Both Shoulders. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think he had a part hand in every... At least singing harmony or something. Yeah. Or at least my sensei so for helping me choose songs or helping me mold some of my songs That's because when i really, ask you about the songs as far as the songwriting is or is it a, a collaborative effort you come in with like okay here's what uh here's the lyrics here's the, the rhythm guitar and then it's like you ask other people to kind of work out you know fill in the, the gaps you know what i mean or right well, I think that that's the role of the producer, and that's why I've leaned on really great producers. Like, the two albums that I did with Griff Morlix, one of them was the one that was Juno-nominated because it was just so well put together. Like, mm-hmm. it was just, it's an epic album. The songs, I think, are great, which I'm really proud of, but it, I don't think that it would have been Juno-nominated had it not been for that production. Okay. And and like, what, what, which one is this? Um, Aiken in Your Bones. By the time Aiken in Your Bones came, my style had really matured in that very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. I really exited from the easy GCD sort of songwriting yeah. into more minor and deep and dark things and sort of exploring heavier subjects. Yeah, more raw, I, I find. Yeah, you know? it was a lot more raw and there was a little bit more room for groove. And a little bit more room for uh, for for like the lack like the lack of lack of filling it in because and so it had this really airy dark feel yes, to it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, no, on Sweet Something Steady, I think I I think it was more just like I had these songs that easily could have been played acoustically. Yeah. 
the same way that they were going to be with a full band. And to sort of sort of answer your question about like when I came to the table with these songs, how they became the songs on the album. Yeah. Ache it in your bones. I pretty much had the feel already there. Um, but then of course, just the nuances of like, you know, having a little bit of organ playing behind something and the, and the groove, the bass kind of just doing something groovier, like lack of the lack of filling in the notes and stuff like that. Yeah. That had a lot of room for production and ideas. As far as lyrically goes, sometimes while the band is playing, you know, you get the rhythm section and you've given them a fake track, like a mock track, just with you playing the songs first so that they have something to start recording with. And by then you sort of worked with the producer to get the feel, right, of like what's going on. And then when when everyone started layering their parts until until I hit the vocals... I had time, so I would always sit and listen to... All, I was in every session, and I'd tweak words, and I'd change things, and I'd be like, yeah, oh. okay, so that's... You know, and I remember in the Devil on Both Shoulders one recording, I was actually changing full verses because I was like, I can do better. I can do better. Because yeah. Grant, was, Grant was elevating the songs to such a cool new groove that I was like, oh, I can make that, the melody go differently. And then you wanted to make the lyrics syllabically sort of fit the melody better, you know? Right, right. So, so it's, it, there's always a little development in the studio, but I think, you know, it was, I, I usually had come, you know, pretty prepared, which is also why I haven't recorded in almost six years because I, I don't have 12 songs that are completely ready to go. Well, you must have, you must have had them ready to bust out in 2005 because Sweet Something Steady was 2006. So it was like, you're just cranking them out, yeah. right? Sweet Something Steady was my first, how I can, I feel is my first album in a lot of ways because up until then, I, I had just been kind of like, like, you know, living room sessions with the temporarily employed was kind of just an off the floor fun. Like, Sweet Something Say was the first time I hired an engineer. I hired a producer. I went in a studio. I hired musicians. And I gave a huge shit of how that came out because I wanted to. My career was actually starting to pick up and I was starting to get festivals. And I started to, like, I wanted to do a release. Yeah. And I wanted to do it the right way. And I wanted to sell albums and be famous. You you kind of wanted to wrangle (laughs) your posse together. And personally, I think, uh, Desperately? Is that right? Desperately? That song? Yeah. So good. It is so good. and then boom it hits you it's like big sound oh young need you know what's funny is i've never played that one live once and actually someone requested it about a year or two ago when i was on the road and i don't know how to play it oh man yeah that's the worst yeah how can you possibly be expected to remember every song over the last 20 years that you wrote you know that's that's gotta be difficult but you think because like i only have like you know five six albums to play off of what people would request that's really not a lot to to remember (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) so it's like it's pretty sad I've had moments where I'm on stage at a gig and I've 
And mid-song, I'm getting the band to hang on it. I'm like, just hang on it for a sec. I'll remember. And I'm like, does anyone know the words in the audience? And I had in Texas at, uh, at Green Hall, I had someone, I asked someone to go down over to the merch table, get a CD, open it, and bring up the words to me. And we hung on through that whole thing nice. until I had the words. Yeah. <laughs> I am terrible with my own lyrics, but I'm even worse with songs that I haven't, I've just sort of put in a box and never really visit very often live yeah really poor like like how did it go like how did how what were the chords even because i remember desperately sort of had some nuances that were sort of foreign to me at the time that chris carmichael helped me put together yeah so i i remember so i think that maybe i i, I don't rem, i think i don't remember playing it even very often so <laughs> i don't know how to play but thanks for liking that song oh, i should that, probably yeah, listen to it i have a lot of favorite songs on it <laughs> but uh let's oh, let's go to 2009 aching in your bones okay we talked about that briefly yeah that uh, was that was pivotal pivotal album for me but why was that because that's more the personal you was it uh why was it so important it was the first time i realized i wasn't a country bluegrass blues sort of like you couldn't put me in a box of what my sound was it was a culmination of a lot of things and i really don't even know what to call that album i mean it was just called a roots album by all the by all the you know awards and and, and categories it was put in yeah. it was like roots roots album you know and I really I still don't even know what kind of style I call it and I like that you know I it's just really it's really moody it's really moody music you got it And that was the Juno nominated. It was. Album. Yeah. So you went to the Junos? Oh, dude, did I go to the Junos? <laughs> In style? Limousines? Okay, first of all, it was in St. John's, Newfoundland that year. Oh, cool. So, shit, yeah, right? So, Jason Awicki and I from the Perpetrators, we were playing music together fairly regularly then. So, he and I went to the Junos. We did Juno Fest. And we started really immersing ourselves in, we had never been to St. John's and we both are all about that kind of thing. Like we're on a street full of music, little live music clubs, little like cool people. Newfoundland's beautiful. Yeah. And so we went, so we just really, we ate it up. We just took huge bites out of St. John's Newfoundland and we were at a wedding. I threw the boot, like the, the garter for the, for what the groom. Were, what were we doing at a wedding? Like, this is a... <laughs> we, we, we literally walked into a wedding by accident trying to walk into a bar and they were like, stay, come in. And, <laughs> and then like, so, so, and then we were spending a lot of time, like John Scholes, who owns Times Change, mm -hmm. he flew out to St. John's to be with us and party with us because I was nominated for a Juno. So that was super fun. That guy is and our so buddy, And our buddy amazing. Rick Premichuk. Oh my God. Yeah, our buddy Rick Premichuk came too. So the four of us took that place the fuck on. Yeah. And we partied our asses off at this place called the Duke of Duckworth. And we went to the, so, so the, the Junos that I was nominated for and the one that most of the Canadians that we knew, like, unless you're like Jan Arden or like the Arkells or like the weekend mm -hmm. or whatever that is, 
there's two nights to the Junos. The first night is like the Roots album of the year, contemporary, you know, like jazz, blues, things like that. So Mm -hmm. we went to that one. And I actually had a a pseudo panic attack, which is so weird because I've never been scared to go on stage in my life until the moment when they were calling the nominees for my category. And I did not want to go up. I didn't prepare a speech. I was half in the bag, half hung over. You know what I mean? And I was sitting at this table partying with these people having the time of our lives. And I'm like, I don't want to go up there. I just, I hadn't put it together that I would possibly win. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't put a speech together. I suddenly started racing in my mind like, oh, my God, I better think Manitoba Music, Manitoba Film and Sound. Who produced my album? Oh, shit. Give me you know? And so then I was like, I completely like had a moment of like, please don't call my name. Please don't call my name. And luckily, actually, they didn't because Amelia Curran, who won that category, is from St. John's, Newfoundland. So the whole oh, room man. explodes. Oh. So if I had won, they would have like practically booed me anyway. <laughs> yeah, booed you right out of the province. The next night is the Junos. Like the actual Juno. So we have nice outfits we brought. We, there's a red car- We could do the red carpet if we wanted to and go in and be in the Junos. Did you? We No, we skipped it. <laughs> you know why we skipped it? Because no. we were at the Duke of Duckworth. <laughs> this Duke of Duckworth place was so cool. And we were hanging with the locals. I was, I was pretty much having a debate of whether or not I was in Canada with a separatist-type Newfoundland old-timer. And we just looked at the time and we're like, fuck it. I don't want to go to the Junos. <laughs> and I had, and then they dubbed me the Duchess of Duckworth that night. A huge, like, pretend ceremony. Holy shit. And when, yeah, and then CBC called me that night and said, so, Ron, like, I had a CBC interview about the Junos. And they were like, how are the Junos going, Romy? I'm like, I don't know. I'm at the Duke of Duckworth. I'm yeah. the Duchess. It's <laughs> awesome. So you did win. You know? And then whenever there's fog, like, heavy, heavy fog, and everyone, all the musicians are freaking out talking to their agents or whoever the fuck they talk to. People are pacing down the streets, panicking because they can't get a flight out. Yeah. Jason and I look at each other and we're like, we don't have any plans this week. We stayed. We stayed for a week in St. John's, had impromptu gigs every night and solidified a, like a place to go to for the rest of our lives. That's amazing. It was like the best. The Juno, that's what you said. Did you go to the Junos? I was like, oh, did I? <laughs> oh, did I not go? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did I not go? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Lucky Tonight, 2011. That was a great time. That was a huge challenge. Why was it so challenging? Because we recorded that entire album live. But it wasn't like just doing a live album, like a live show that we recorded and called an album. We produced that to the umpteenth degree, rehearsed the shit out of it Mm -hmm. so that it would be completely perfect and and album worthy. So we had we had like front of house recording. We had someone that, that was you know, we had microphones for the audiences. It was also filmed by like uh, this guy, Steve Johnson, did a did a um, a documentary on the making of that album with okay. for a year, for okay. almost a year. He was with us. Yeah. And and that night there were twelve cameras. That night was one of those things where it's like this could either be the best idea or the worst idea ever, and it was. Probably it was probably one of the biggest nights of my life. You know, and I also played piano. And recorded that like that was my first time performing on piano in my life, the last track, Ooh, and wow. uh, and it was on a grand piano on stage by myself, and it was being recorded as for my album, and it was the first time I've ever played piano in my life on stage. Don't be afraid to ask me to stay. I 
piano and you're like hey this sounds good and like just kept going with it yeah. and lyrics came to your well, mind well actually i had written the song in amsterdam when i got home from that tour i can play like a few chords you know i can i can noodle on on piano i just can't i would never have thought that i would have written a song full on or performed it on piano but i started playing it on piano and realizing that it's really effective that way. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to, when I suggested that this song could be on the album, which Jay was all for, I was thinking of bringing in a piano player. And he said, there's something about the way you play it. That's just so simple and sweet that I think we should keep that. So I, so I challenged myself to do it. And it, it was such an epic night. I mean, we just felt like we were heroes of our own selves after, because we, we did it, you know, we were like, I can't believe we just, after all that hard work to get yeah. to this one moment, recorded that album in one night live. Uh, let's jump to your last release was 2015. Uh, yeah. Devil on Both Shoulders. Okay, yeah. Super cool. Uh, I love that. What are your memories of that. recording that album? Oh, man. I miss it. I, it's the last time I was in the studio. I mean, I've never waited six years between albums. I just, you know, with, with even with touring, you know, and musicians having it so rough on making money and, and the American dollar versus the Canadian dollar, it just started getting trickier and trickier and trickier. Um, but I miss, I miss the idea of being back in the studio. That was really cool. We had, Grant was really in charge with that one. And I let, I let him take charge. I did not write those songs with that groove or style at all. My, my style's a lot more, you know, like yeah. straight up and down. When I played those songs for Grant, I, he was like, dude, you have like hundreds of songs. So I was playing like, well, I've got this little thing. I've got this little thing. I've got this little thing. And he was actually like, I don't know how to choose. We're going to have to figure out how to choose these songs. And he ended up choosing which ones were on the album. I was, I obviously had, obviously. You let like, go so of the control fun. of that. That's wild. Well, yeah. And it was, it's hard for me because I am a bit of a control freak. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I really trusted Grant because I knew that he had a vision for what he wanted to do with this album, with me. And yeah. I didn't, and I wanted to trust that I, you know, I had nothing to lose and I trusted him. Right. So it was like, I've already, I know what I sound like. So what would he make me sound like? Everybody's born and everybody dies. You think the picture's bigger when you see it through your eyes. Just one more time before it's over. of the songs 
on Devil on Both Shoulders. I do not play guitar on those tracks, oh, no which is really strange for someone like myself who is pretty efficient at guitar, like not just your average strummer, you know, like, yeah. so, but, um, but because you, do, you are playing the piano at the last track, Walk Away. I'm not, I'm not playing the piano on that. That oh. was also, um, that's Mark Arnaud. That piano playing is so beautiful that if it was me, I would probably just start playing piano all the time. <laughs> Rami, I, I, when I was listening to it, or I, I get the impression of, uh, do you know Pinkerton at all, Weezer? I'm a huge Weezer fan, yeah, right? At, yeah, the end yeah, of Pinker- yeah. at the end of Pinkerton, there's Butterfly, this nice, you know, it's kind of like this rock album, and then the end, it's like this nice little fade out of this beautiful song, right? and that's what I got from listening to that. I was like, it really... Yeah. Uh, puts a nice bow on the whole album, you know? Uh, I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about the music video and just music videos in general. Do you get into that kind of stuff? Um, I've designed, like, I'm all in it. Like, yep. the two videos that I've done, and it's funny, I've only done two, but I've only really felt like doing two, yeah, so whatever. Kind of I did. It's pretty light on the videos with the uh, with Yeah, I don't know why. I just, like, I just, it's, unless I have a really good idea, I didn't really want to do anything. And Lucky Tonight's video and Devil on Both Shoulders' video were a story I had in my mind mm-hmm. that I thought would be really cool. So then I just trans like relayed that to the person who's going to shoot it, and then I my ha- I, my hands are in it the whole time. Like I'm I'm helping them put it together the whole time. Right. Dude, I love the split screen in uh, in uh, Devil yeah. on Both Shoulders. There's a quick cameo of me playing in the bar yeah. the song as it's playing. As it as it just happens to be like a side thing in the in the in the story, right? Wearing your I Heart Winnipeg hat. I just fucking I, I love, love that, that fucking hat, hat yeah. man. It's awesome. I don't have it anymore. I had two of them, and then I one got stolen at Folk Fest, and one's just long gone. I don't know, but I'll order another one. I love my trucker hats. I just do. Yeah, I, love, I have a collection, and I love them. Right. But I miss my Ella Winnipeg. Well, I think uh, the whole package of your, your talent, your musicianship. Um, the, the business sense that you have is just, it's amazing. And I, I just wanted to say, say thanks again for coming on the show. Aw, buddy. Or, but don't go yet because this is the, oh, the, big, uh, the big finale is happening, right? Okay, just you- so you know, I don't know if you know this about me, Ron. My partner would be the first to vouch for it. I am obsessed with games and trivia and like, I'll be like, ask me, ask me how to spell something. Ask me, you know, like, just so you know. So when I, when I realized there was actually a, like a game show section to this, yeah. I was freaking stoked, dude. I'm, so I'm super excited. I'm so excited. You're stoked. As you know, Rusty has been the only guest to complete, including myself, to complete 100 questions in five minutes. And as oh I said God. before, you just can't blurp out any old thing it has to be 90 percent, and i'm gonna go back if i need to and make sure that 90 percent of your answers are true what did you say like what's your favorite movie but i think of one of my like sort of favorite movies but it's not my favorite movie you wouldn't know the difference exactly that's why we're going by honor system if you say say this is your favorite if you say that's your favorite then that's your favorite but if it contradicts something maybe that you said in the interview right that's where i'm gonna get you Okay. You should get a buzzer. Uh, I should get a buzzer. <laughs> you know what? I'm just like, I'm so dumb. I, I have a hard time enough just reading the questions without having to worry about ding or bam, you know. Okay, so let's just let's just say this. We want me to win. Yeah, so we want you to win. You're, you're going to read the questions quickly, swiftly. You're not going to fuck me over. You can call me out if I don't. Don't be all talking slow just to try to not lose a six ninety nine or whatever. We are, go- we are going to work together, me and you. All right. So you complete it, and I love the fact that you are so into this and you want to get so it excited. done. And uh, I'm like I, I think literally getting right now. I, I really think you're going to do it. 
I think so too. I'm totally committed. Robbie Mays. Oh my god, I'm so nervous. Here we go. Okay. Tonight. Timer start. Tonight's timer money start. shot for Robbie Mays. Six dollars and ninety. What? She told them already. That's my job. Damn. Bring her forth. Robbie Mays, you must sing a TV theme song for all of eternity. Begin! Show me that smile again. Show me that smile Name a cool car. Ferrari. Have you heard Fiona Apple's new album? No. Name a bird. Uh, a robin. Can you build a fire? Yes. Uh, favorite place to go swimming? The lake. Name a weekend update host. Uh, Dennis Miller. Jeannie's Cake, yay or nay? Yay. Favorite instrument to play? Guitar. Best metal band? Iron Maiden. Do you like anchovies? No. Do you like liver? No. Do you like olives? Yes. Do you like squid? No. Do you like pickles? Yes. Gross. Robin's Donuts or stupid Tim Hortons? Tim Hortons. Ugh. Do you have baby teeth? No. Uh, current uh, brand of toothpaste? Crest. Name a card game. Uh, Ramoli. Name a game show. Wheel of Fortune. Cup or mug? Mug. Uh, corn, on or off the cob? Off, on the cob, on the cob. Name something in this room. The phone that's got the numbers on it. Name something not in this room. Me. All right, uh, quick, three-letter word. Dog. Uh, I, I, I have, uh, have you ever received the speeding ticket? Yes. Can you speak a second language? Yes. Mac or PC? PC. Have you jumped off a I cliff? I mean Mac. Oh, Mac. What? Have you jumped off a cliff? No, I'm scared of heights. Have you jumped out of an airplane? Terrified of heights. Name a Lord of the Rings character. Hobbit. Name a Clint Eastwood film. Uh, good and bad and ugly. Have you ever been to the drive-in near Morden, Manitoba? Yes. Uh, no. Have you ever been to the old drive-in near Shamrock, yes. Manitoba? Oh, she says yes. Name a song from the movie Grease. Ah! Uh, uh, Grease Have you seen Hamilton? No. Best pizza in Winnipeg? Santa Lucia. Ooh, she knows. Best sushi in Winnipeg? Uh, fuck it, nowhere. Okay, best uh, name a business at the Forks? Um, 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 Muddy Waters. Name something square-shaped. Uh, a box. Favorite, <laughs> favorite flavor of gum? Um, mint. Uh, where do you buy ice cream? Um, at Marble Slap. Are you a gardener? No. Uh, first album purchased? It was the hit after hit of the 80s. Best Beatles album? Abbey Road. Have you ever bet on a horse? Yes. Have you ever been on a horse? Yes. Have you ever milked a cow? Yes. Favorite vacation destination? Jamaica. Butter, salted or unsalted? Salted. What lives in water? A fish. Last board game played? Ramoli. Do you play tennis? No. Have you ever bought a tennis racket? No. Uh, did you know tennis rackets at Canadian Tire are, are $50 or more? Fuck that. It makes sense. Laverne or Shirley? Laverne. Wrestling or boxing? Oh, wrestling. Last gift you received? Um, I got this computer. Oh, nice. Name a Disney film. Robin Hood. Name a Beastie Boy. MCA. Ooh, nice. What would you put in a sandwich? Genoa salami. Uh, name a Sonic Youth album. I do not know any. Uh, can you make French toast? Yes. 
Uh, favorite grade in school? A plus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Name camp. Uh, beauty camp. What color are your eyes? Brown. Uh, favorite TV show? Um, Jeopardy. Favorite scary movie? Saw. Uh, name a prime minister. Justin Trudeau. Best live venue? West End Cultural Center. Sunday afternoon activity? Picking my ass. I don't know. Name a Madonna film. Madonna film? Yeah. Um, I don't know. One minute. Name a member of Jackass. We've got to speed it up. Uh, Steve Stevo. Last movie watched. Um, 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 Jackass. <laughs> Name a movie you hate. Um, 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 fuck! Come on! Um, 45 seconds. Fucking fuck! Movie I hate. Uh, I can't think of anything right now. Alright, pass, pass. Where do you live? Winnipeg. Where do you sleep? My bed. Do you wear pajamas? Sometimes. Do you wear slippers? Yes. Name a brand of shoe. Uh, uh, bugs. Name a serial cartoon character. You can't sound. Name a composer. Uh, B Pavarotti. Or Fa no, Beethoven. Favorite dance move. The, 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 the chicken. How many weddings have you attended? 15 seconds. Like 20. Do you like Diet Coke? No. Name an animal in Manitoba. Beaver. Luke or Leia? L I did not hear that question. Luke, Luke or Leia? Oh, Leia. A uh, mustache or beard? No! That's no, it! No, but you were hesitant! It's what are you talking fair. about? What are you talking about is hesitant? I was going snappity snap! How many, how many questions did we get through? Ooh, let's see here. Uh, 87? Fuck. 87! I'm so bummed. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, so, I'm beyond bummed. I you was know, trying. I, I okay. won't be able to sleep tonight. I, I'm trying to get out so fast, you know? I'm truly really But you also reacted just on mine with like, oh, that's a good answer. I, I wasn't like, it was, it was, it was quick. It was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to rebuttal this because <laughs> I'm pretty serious. I'm going to ask you to listen back to this and take out all the seconds that you said something after. Ronnie Mays answered 87 questions with 13 left. 13 times three seconds each would be 39 seconds. Whereas Ronald George Moore Wasted 12.25 seconds by either commenting or wasting time before asking the question. Here are the samples. Uh, gross. Ugh. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, uh, I, I, I have, uh, oh, Matt. Oh, she says yes. Oh, she knows. Okay, best. Uh, uh, makes sense. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, gotta speed it up. <laughs> so, even with Ronald George Moore's guffaws, you still would have needed an additional 26.75 seconds to win. Sorry, Rami. All hail Satan! I'll accept defeat with with my chin up, but I'm super sad. Rami, Maze, you're an amazing, uh, Ron. You're, you're amazing talent. I love your music. Yeah, you're, you're just one of the best people in Winnipeg, and it's so great how you champion the city and uh, the province. Someone's got to, dang it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I think we all have our parts. You know what, you doing this, and, you know, there, there are some other podcasts like the... Um, which police and things like that that are you know people it's we need people to help present us and and talk about the things that we're doing or else nobody will know sure. so i super appreciate that you care about the arts and that you care about the people in the city robbie thanks again thanks for being on yeah, the show Ron, okay? you're the best okay bye <laughs> oh
Yeah. Okay, bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Make sure you tell your friends and family to check out the Manitoba Money Shot podcast. Where? On SoundCloud. Also on iTunes, on Stitcher, and Amazon. Follow the Manitoba Money Shot podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And we have an account on YouTube. Also, you can check out uh, patreon.com backslash Ronald George Moore. Help me out with a monthly donation. You get access to all the Tuesday tangles, all the Wednesday whack-offs, all the Friday foreplays, and a lot more. And remember, don't take five. Take what you want. <laughs>